This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. the upper deck frantically googling whether vinyl stickers are toxic this is behind the bots the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind battle bots i'm chris i'm luke and yes they are <laughs> i'm Lindsay, and i'm not convinced i'm kyle and i can definitely confirm that they are and today on the podcast our interview with battle bots announcer kenny florian we'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of robots around the world if you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Uh, before we get into this week's news, I'm going to give you a quick update on our fundraiser for Nanso Nali. Uh, he is uh, our friend over in Nigeria who is desperately trying to raise some funds to get a 3D printer, get some um, robotics parts so he can, and some friends at his school, um, you know, get further into engineering and, and robotics, which I think is really cool. Um and I have some really great news. We've sh- we've raised at this point four hundred dollars, um, which is really really exciting. It more than covers, I think, uh, the three D printer that he wanted. Um, so now we can kind of focus on the shipping and some of the other parts. That it's a lot uh, of international logistics when you are shipping anything to Nigeria. Yeah. Uh, so what we're also doing is during the if you're available in the Northeast during the next. Norwalk Havoc, we're actually going to put together a collection box. Uh, if you do have any components, wires, or anything small and shippable that we could include in our package that will go to a Nanso school, uh, please feel free to bring it along, and uh, we would greatly appreciate that donation. Yeah, so hopefully that's convenient for you. Um, and for the people who are donating cash to the GoFundMe, I want to make sure that I read everyone's names aloud. So thank you to Francois Pelsé, James Baker, Mary Catherine Carr, Mark Pollard, Adam Martin, Mark Schlipper, an anonymous donor, and Andrew Davis. So really, I mean, people have been incredibly generous. And thank you, And Nanso. We check in with him every day, and he's so, so, so excited. Um, so just thanks to everybody, um, you know, for, for making this kid's dream come true and, and enabling him to also spread it to his friends in his school. That's amazing. That's so cool. Um, how, how long are we going to run the fundraiser for? I mean, is there a number that we're trying to hit? Um, I think like ideally we, the, the fundraiser set at 3000 right now. I think ideally we would love to hit 1000. Um, I know that we have, um, also some, uh, other folks who said that they'd help out in other ways. I don't know if I can say this, but 
uh, Norwalk Havoc has also agreed to help uh, chip in with some of this. So mm-hmm. um, it's very, very exciting. Um, I don't know. We uh, we haven't really talked about an end date. I just wanted to make sure that I uh, had a chance to thank everybody, you know, this week who, who donated over the last week. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if uh, you have a couple bucks laying around or even better, just robotics parts that you're not using and you're going to be at Havoc, Come on down, because um, you'll directly make an impact on, on someone who I think is really cool. Check out his YouTube. Uh, he's also, we've talked with him, and he's excited to make more YouTube videos with all the stuff that he gets. So you'll be able to see, you know, what you donate uh, be used by him in his YouTube videos for educational content. So I just think, I just think it's really cool. Awesome. Very cool. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have five news items for you today. First up, BattleBots builders took home top prizes this weekend at Motorama 2022, one of the biggest two-day competitions held each year on the East Coast. In the Beetleweights, Pain Train Captain Evan Arias took home first place with his dominant three-pounder Shredder Bro. Meanwhile, P1 Captain Brandon Zielinski took home third place in the weight class with his big-wheeled top attack bot Starchild. In the 12-pounders, huge team member Don Dorfler took home first place with his bot, Disco, while Copperhead team member Luke Quintal took home third with his hard-hitting, unconventional gyro walker, Kitten Mittens. In the 30-pound full combat division, Copperhead team member Pete Covert took home second place with his bot, Yahoo, while Valkyrie driver Fred Moore took home third with Marathon. Hexpug on Friday unveiled its 2022 BattleBots Rivals kit, which will be two of the most beloved bots in the field, Hypershock and Rusty. In season two of the reboot, Hypershock was on the cusp of signing a Hexbug's toy deal, running its now infamous rake configuration. That season two deal ultimately fell through, but Wheelbales and team continue to build increasingly beautiful versions of their bot, culminating in the neon green masterpiece we see today. I cannot wait to add Hypershock to my Hexbugs collection. Uh, So yeah, if you're thinking about buying me a Christmas gift, I want the rival set. The only other bot that I may be more excited about is Rusty. Hexbugs apparently made the decision to build the Rusty toy after the bot's season five debut. The prototype they showed off on YouTube this past week appears to show a newer, sleeker version of Rusty, which ultimately did not make it into the BattleBots uh, field this season, with Rusty Captain Dave Eaton instead deciding to run the original version of the bot instead. Both bots will go on sale later this year. Speaking of Hypershock and lucrative toy deals, the team this week gave fans a semi-detailed breakdown of the bot's costs, as well as how much money the team brings in from sponsors, merchandise, stipends, winnings, and royalties. Team Captain Will Bales decided not to attach exact dollar amounts to each of these line items, instead opting for percentage breakdowns. 91% of the team's income came from sponsors and merchandise sales while the remaining 9% of the team's income came from BattleBots in the form of cash prizes, travel stipends, and royalties. The team writes, quote, BattleBots pays a meager royalty out to returning teams, which mostly comes from international sales of the series. Teams will use any winnings or appearance fees from the previous season to fund the next one or pay themselves back for things they covered out of their own pockets in that season. Every year since season three, the prize pool has shrunk as teams have asked for more base funding for showing up. The exact format has shifted a little each season, but we essentially get a nominal payment per fight with a slight bonus for winning. 
This is the most detailed public breakdown of how BattleBots pays the teams, which remains a hot button issue for captains in the off season. I want to take a pause here. Um, for those of us who checked out the Hypershock blog and saw these beautiful pie charts uh, breaking down the team's income and their costs, was there anything that was surprising? I, I felt like I, I learned some something new, you know, about how kind of a top tier team uh, funds its robot. Um, but any thoughts uh, after after seeing this post? Something that I thought was. I don't know, maybe not surprising, but stood out to me was, you know, you think by now a bot like Hypershock that has such incredible uh, name recognition, has such an established brand, is so beloved, you know, by everyone on the show and fans, like they still have an incredibly hard time finding sponsors. Um, I think he said that like they sent out 20 cold emails and I forget the number breakdown from there, but essentially it resulted in like one or two actual conversations. Um, and so if you think about how difficult it is for a, a team that you is so synonymous with the show, like then apply that to a rookie bot or like a first season bot who is returning and how difficult it must be for them. Um, and, and then, you know, just how, punishing it must be on their wallets to just to actually show up and compete you know but like if, if hypershock has a hard time doing it it's gonna be so hard for anybody else yeah absolutely one of the things that i was super surprised by was a how organized the hypershock team was it's just not their uh their vibe you know it's just not their vibe um, but you have to be to, to put together one of these machines and to run a successful machine year after year. Um, you know, success being what you make of it, I guess. Um, I wonder how much in toy deal money that changes, right? Like the, the bots that have toys, if they get additional money, that's the one thing that I, I wish we knew from this. Obviously, if Hypershock does an update on this, we will know next year. So that'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, it's it's a huge question mark for myself. I mean, obviously the captains know, and I suppose we could just uh, reach out to those we know with toy deals and we could just ask. I've heard anecdotally that it's not a lot of money in terms of like their merchandising split. They haven't given me exact numbers. Of course, I haven't really asked, but um, but yeah, I, I would certainly be interested. So if you're a captain with a Hexbox toy and you're listening to this, uh, yeah, reach out to me because I would I would love to know. Um, I think like one of the big challenges is that when people watch the show, they just assume, oh, BattleBots probably covers 90% of the costs and these little tiny individual sponsors who don't advertise on TV and I've probably never heard of before, they maybe make up 10%. Um, and really that that ratio is flipped. It's It's been a big, big issue. We've heard about it from lots of captains this year, especially as the cost to build these hyper-competitive machines um, continues to rise. So yeah, uh, good on good on Hypershock for opening the door more on, on their, their own personal team equation. All right, speaking of team merchandise, the team behind Sawblaze is auctioning off a battle-damaged fork and a battle-damaged wheel on eBay this week. If you're listening to this episode the day it comes out, both auctions will end later today. As of Monday, bidding stood at $170 for the fork and $200 for the wheel. 
Meanwhile, Malice Captain Bunny Sariel and Tombstone Captain Ray Billings are running two separate contests for their social media followers this week with prize packs chock full of amazing team memorabilia. Check out details on how to win on both teams' respective Facebook pages. And finally, the team behind Huge is selling a limited run of picture-perfect true-to-scale huge eyes made out of anodized aluminum and perfect for the huge fan in your life. They're affordable too, at $40 per pair. Check out details on the team's Facebook page. And that's it for this week's news. Now, before we get into our interview with Kenny Florian, it's time yet again for Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 103 people participate in Snap Decisions. 20 people managed to call 7 out of 7 Fight Night fights correctly. Those people, in alphabetical order, were Andrew Freetag, B.M. Mooney, Brooke Siegel, Carter Rosenthal, Corey Schweinhart, David Strachan, Darren Dibble, Doug Prezak, James Williams, Jethro Lubin, Josh Kubiak, Kyle Violet, Logan Jones, Michael Priest, Robert A. Wagner, Stephanie Spooner, Steve Dufort, Stuart Hunt, Tom Brisbane, Wayne Dwops, and Zach Orlov. The easiest fight to call last week was Cobalt versus Ghost Raptor, with 94 people correctly predicting that Cobalt would win. Maybe not as brutally as they did, but they did predict that. The hardest to call was Ice Wave versus Deadlift, with just 63 people correctly predicting that Ice Wave would win. Now, uh, before we get into this week's predictions, I'd love to take a pause here uh, and get your thoughts on episode seven. We saw chaotic flips from Sub-Zero, violent disassembly of Ghost Raptor in their uh, just amazing match against Cobalt, a return to form for classic uh, robot Ice Wave. Everyone flips for Blip, which just had an amazing performance. Uh, great, great reliability from Huge and this great celebratory dance from Jonathan Schultz. Suffocating drive style from Copperhead, a judge's decision that was too close for comfort in the main event, and stickers, so many toxic vinyl stickers in the YouTube exclusive. Uh, (laughs) I'd like to pause here and get your thoughts. Kyle, Chris, Lindsay, your thoughts on episode seven. I I mean, I... I I really am interested in learning a little bit more about what Wayne Dwops thinks about this. Wayne... Wayne Dwops? Wait... Wayne. <laughs> yeah, Wayne Chris? Chris, this is terrible, Chris. <laughs> Enjoy it, Chris. Okay. Starting that this week, in. I, in I'm this restricting time. your access to this Google Doc to read only, Chris. All right. You did this to yourself. You know what? We'll let we'll let the fans vote on it, <laughs> or we reach out directly to Wayne Watts. Great episode, though. It was a great episode. <laughs> great episode. Um, all right. When, when I when I think back on like the most iconic moments of BattleBots in past seasons, I think of like um, Mad Catter getting split apart, Warhawk getting split apart. Um, wait, was did Mad Catter get split apart? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, um, two seasons, and ago. now like Ghost Raptor, like getting split apart. Incredible, like that was amazing. Just like a just a showing of total brutality. I loved it. Um, 
Maybe we can start there. Like, is Cobalt the the most destructive robot in the fields? Is Cobalt the robot to watch, or did Cobalt just get a lucky angle on a kind of awkwardly shaped robot? Your your thoughts? Cobalt is destructive as all get out. Uh, it is a scary robot. One thing that I'll say that's a big difference between this disassembly and the Warhawk slash Mad Catter disassemblies is Warhawk and Mad Catter were designed very specifically to be shipped in three parts. Right? They have their drive pods, they have their weapon pods. It's um, and they were all held together with wubs. And as Emmanuel Creo spoke about many times, those wubs were not made for sheer force. So they uh, split right apart. And that is why we got that amazing separation. But that was kind of a, a separation at the breakpoint, right? This disassembly of Ghost Raptor was so just violent. violent I don't know how many pieces it split into. Mm. They seem they seem to all be connected by wires and tendon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just a blob of robot at the end of that. That was like very impressive. Cobalt is super destructive. I don't know if it's the most destructive bot in the field. The weapon's not really big enough to be that. You know what I mean? Like when you've got deep sixes and tombstones and just these giant bars out there, it's hard to call them the most destructive. But uh, they've got a case for it. After that, that was crazy. Um, I will also say that the huge victory dance, there were a lot of people online that said that it looked scripted and, uh, they were saying it as if like BattleBots is doing some shenanigans, but I'm saying it as in Jonathan Schultz is just that awesome. His victory dance looked scripted. It was great. Why would they script that? Kyle, Kyle, you, you, you frequent like the kind of, uh, the kind of conspiracy wing of BattleBots internet. And I love it. I didn't see that at all. You know, is, is this like a widely held belief or is it one, one fan, Kyle? It came up a lot in the BattleBots group, uh, which by the way, if you could avoid the BattleBots group, just do it, just do it. Um, but yeah, (laughs) you're mine, Kyle. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm an, I'm an admin. I'm an admin of that group, but yes, uh, you know. It's, you know, just my, maybe don't go there sometimes. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of people that were like, that looks scripted. This is like, <laughs> yeah. this is uh, like, they just gave huge this win because they want them to be in the tournament, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, uh, or huge just won and did a really awesome victory dance. And it was great. What's what's wrong with that? That makes me mad. That was such like a joyous moment. Yeah. I was so happy for huge and for Jonathan and, and the whole team and like, you know, that was like the decisive win that we've been waiting for for a while and just like a performance that didn't end before it even started, which is how it's felt like for their, their last few matches. Like, why does it got to be scripted? We've seen what Huge can do in the past and yeah. it's very destructive. It's not like uh, they're, you know, trying to push a narrative about it. It like is the narrative. And I mean, Jonathan gets to live to fight another day now and, and the whole team. I would have been just fine with a much longer scripted celebration, perhaps with a, an intermission and fireworks. <laughs> that would have been fine by me. Let's just, you know, let's just let them uh, do their thing. Um, I, I will say uh, that what, what, like one of my barometers for where BattleBots fans are right now is Jackie, my girlfriend. Um, Jackie always has interesting thoughts uh, during the, the fights. And her big question after Thursday's matches were like, is Blip the new Rusty? Like, is this the most beloved rookie in the field? Um, Blip's performance was so great. Its face is so 
so cute. Um, it really just showed incredibly an incredibly dominant performance. They featured blip in one of their little interstitials. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I feel like every week they're picking up new fans. Any thoughts on, on the blip fight specifically? Blip can throw down and throw up. Well, not throw up, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, dominant performance by blip. Uh, They are adorable and terrifying. Um, that's all you want in a battle bot, right? You, you want those great combinations of adorable and terrifying and blip hits all the, all the marks. I, I see a blip toy coming in our future. Hopefully it comes with that really awesome, uh, wind up toy, uh, attachment that they use for the safety mechanism. I think that would be cool. I think a blip tantrum would be a good, uh, combo. Ooh, fun. Yeah. Blip tantrum rival set, uh, a seems reasonable rival set. That would be awesome. I would be totally down for that. Um, the only other match that I found interesting was the main event and just how edge of my seat I was for this ultimately split judges decision. Um, I really like when I, I, the, the tension was palpable when they went to the judges. I really felt it was a strong, strong win from whiplash, but I could see how, um, how you know they they may have called it in a different direction um did you have thoughts on on that match i think it was the best duel that we've seen this season and that's carefully choosing my words it that's exactly what it was it was uh two very uh compatible bots fighting with two fantastic drivers it was it was really something awesome to behold yeah, I saw uh, Charles Guan made a meme of it where he was like, it's sportsmen, but make it battle bots. And uh, I think that that's accurate, right? Like these two very control bots coming in there to do like control body things. Um, great fight all the way around. I absolutely loved it. Uh, both drivers did an awesome job. Both the bots performed beautifully. It's, you know, one wedge just worked better than the other. That's that's really all it came down to in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, it was a great fight. I loved it. Are there any other matches that we want to talk about, or do we have to get to the sticker debacle and uh, switch back? What sticker debacle? Is it time? It might be time. It might be time. <laughs> Greg Nehill has been waiting for this for months. All right, let me let me provide some context. Let me let me provide the context if this is one of your first episodes, and I'm sorry um, if it is. A couple months ago, before we had seen Switchback ever perform or do, um, you know, like a functional test or anything like that, they hadn't even shipped the robot. We just saw a photo of it online. Um, I, I had a throwaway line in one of our episodes where I said, I will eat five BattleBot stickers if Switchback wins a single match. And I'm talking about a clean win, like a knockout. Didn't go to judge's decision. The other robot didn't die. And um, I thought to myself, okay, like it's a hyperbolic statement. No one's going to take me seriously. Do you know who took me seriously? Switchback Captain Greg Needell. All right. He reached out and he was like, hey, I saw I listened to the episode. Like, uh, what do you mean? Why don't you like my robot? Uh, we had him on the next week. And I was like, Switchback's amazing. Like, I love the robot. It's awkward as heck, and I feel like I've been vindicated in that that opinion um, now that we've seen it fight a couple times. Um, but yes, it earned a decisive win over Slamo this week, and because of that, I am now 
Googling our vinyl stickers toxic. All right. Like, and, and listen, I, I encourage you to also Google whether vinyl stickers are toxic. They, they say they're stuffed full of microplastics and that uh, they're terrible for you. And now I have to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, I, I will give you one additional kind of piece of context. Greg Nidell, um just very wonderfully sent me like a full Switchback fan package in the mail this package uh, included two uh, team photos, one of which is autographed. Um, this appears to be on somewhat waxy paper. I think I could eat that. Um, two poker chips. Those are definitely not edible. I don't know. They're clay. What do you think, Kyle? Clay? I think I could eat clay. Is this? You could eat clay. Safe? You could eat paper stickers. I don't think paper stickers would be too problematic. Uh, one of the stickers had a, a little note attached to it, didn't it? Lindsay, I'm getting to that. How dare you? Okay. Um, and, and. Oh, okay. Cut that up. A bunch of tiny stickers here. These are, these are great kind of edible sized here. All right. There's probably 15 of them. Um, he also sent me a saw, like a, uh, a wheel from from Switchback that got cut off of the robot, um, signed, and it's going up on my memorabilia wall of BattleBots. Um, but uh, he also sent me two decal size. I'm talking about like I have to, I gotta like back up in my chair so you can see the whole size of this thing. Um, these these are vinyl decals. It's like a foot. <laughs> It's it's easily I think it's like a foot and a half um, long vinyl stickers that went on the actual robot um, and and one of them he's included the note yum yum smiley face okay Greg Needell okay this thing is filled with microplastics I can't eat this all right <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you like um, going into this like we started recording like what twenty minutes ago. I brought over this whole price pack because I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do. And it was really only right before we started recording that I, I Googled whether vinyl stickers are toxic. I should have probably done this before. So I don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> I am not one to uh, like walk away from a bet. I will be eating stickers because I said that I would. But I'm wondering if maybe I should, I should like maybe like make some paper stickers or do a giant sheet of edible stickers. Uh, do we have other ideas? And listen, Greg, I know that you're listening to this and I promised you this week I was going to do this. So you must uh, be really disappointed, but I don't want to, I don't want to kill myself. <laughs> um, other, other, other ideas for, for things that I could do to apologize to Greg Vidal. I mean, this is a audio podcast. You could just chew it up a bunch or choose something yeah. else. How about, a, how about a 15 minute ASMR uh, podcast hosted just by Luke uh, slurping on a whole bunch of stickers? <laughs> uh, we could print you paper stickers. We could okay. print you paper stickers or we could print you edible stickers. That's a thing that exists. Yeah. I do feel like the edible stickers is cheating, but the, the paper stickers wouldn't be. Okay. You could propose a uh, a counter um, uh, bet that would, uh, you know, essentially double or nothing this uh, this this original bet. Oh, 
dear God, Chris, tell me more. All right. In lieu of uh, eating five stickers, you could you could always get a switchback tattoo. <laughs> yes. And uh, this is not my original idea, but I'm going to claim it. If you do get a switchback tattoo, then perhaps it does need to go on to your lower back. <laughs> In what I believe is colloquially termed as a tramp stamp. Wow. Um, all right. This is the best idea. Their logo is very tattooable. So what you're saying is double or nothing. Uh, Switchback has to win another fight and then I'll get a lower back tattoo. Is that right? Well, all right. We, we, we all know none of us here know switchbacks future this season we don't know if they make it to the round of 32 we don't know if they go home with the giant nut um (laughs) should they win another fair match by either knockout or uh you know uh you know a judge judge's decision is this is this something that would be acceptable to you luke (laughs) if you would to uh, permanently alter your body forever in in the name of combat robotics I, I don't have any other tattoos and um, I I uh, so this would be my first tattoo. It feels a little intense to go with lower back for like my first tattoo ever. And uh, especially with a uh, with an experimental robot from 2021. I don't know. Like uh, I'm going to be 80 years old and my grandkids are going to be asking me why I have this. This horrible sun damaged lower back tattoo when I'm in the pool about you know some some bet that I made. Sun damaged. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's not the worst idea, Luke. Luke, you were there. So is Chris correct? Do you not know if they do you not know if they won another fight, or do you know if they won another fight? I cannot uh, confirm or deny anything. However, I, I will say that when I went to filming, uh, I went to the first day of the round of 32 and uh, I was inside the pits for like maybe 90 seconds before the first person walked up to me and they were like, yeah, you're eating stickers. Oh, <laughs> so um, so I, I, I knew I knew immediately I knew back in August that they had won at least one fight. So um, who, who knows? Maybe it's this fight. Uh, I, I can't really reveal. And yet you just now start Googling the toxicity of vinyl stickers. I assumed a sticker mule like sold stickers that like kids would be able to eat them. But now I'm reading about microplastics and I freaked myself out. All right. Like you should never Google anything. Um, Luke, are, Luke, are you trying to? Are you trying to tell me that you might not adhere to this sticker challenge? Uh, Chris, I will. I will eat stickers and I want to eat paper stickers because those seem safer to me. You need to stick to this one. Chris is right. (laughs) I I will. I'm going to. I'm going to eat stickers. We're going to put it on video. You guys come over this week. I'm going to I'm going to do some paper stickers. They're going to be massive. I'll make myself a huge sticker smoothie. I'm going to cry through the whole thing. It's going to be great. But I, I don't think I can eat these sticker meal stickers. Okay, okay. There's been a twist in the story. There's a new update, and I have to share it. Lindsay, what? I'm on the frequently asked questions on stickermule.com. And what they say is 
well, okay. There could be some uh, interpretation here that we can get into. But what they say is our custom labels are printed on BOPP film. BOPP film is a durable, non-toxic polypropylene commonly used in the food, cosmetics, and medical packaging industry. So, in fact, this is considered non-toxic and is even used in the food industry, so it is a food product. Wow. Okay. All right, that does change things. Should I should I text Greg Needell right now and ask him if he bought them from Sticker Mule or some shady Chinese website that is just uh, who knows, you know? <laughs> All right. The only thing that I do want to have a caveat. My only caveat is that it says it the labels are made from BOPP film. Not their stickers. <laughs> and I believe they do make labels as a separate it's a separate product from their sticker. So I don't know if it's like a catch-all <laughs> term, like labels applies to everything or what. Okay, I'm on the sticker mule uh, sticker frequently asked uh, web uh, <laughs> frequently asked questions webpage. And it says that all of their stickers are made out of pure forever chemicals and microplastics. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. I just, I just waffled. That, that was, that was an emotional roller coaster. I went from, yes, I'm going to eat them right now to, to no. Um, okay. All right. Listen, I promise by Thursday, we will, we will film me. I'm going to go out to Staples right now. I'm going to buy the biggest sheets of stickers I can find. I'm going to eat way more than five. Um, but they, they have to be paper. All right. Um, and uh, that's all I have to say about that, you guys. How long do we talk about these stickers? I'm going to hold you accountable. Luke. Good. Okay. All right. Uh, we've taken 10 minutes talking about this. Um, okay. Uh, oh. Yes. Wait, Let's wait. See. One last thing. Okay. One last thing. Yes. Okay. Are your materials non-toxic? Okay. Right? This is just catch-all. We use a water-based adhesive that is non-toxic. Okay. So you can't eat the adhesive on these stickers. But it says vinyl is not, however. Uh, So the vinyl of the sticker, uh, according to them, is considered toxic. Okay. All right. That that sets my mind at ease. Okay. So you're not going to... Yeah. We need need to work around. Okay. All right. I'm going to buy shipping labels. I'm going to make a massive number of shipping labels. I'm going to drink them this week. All right. so okay, that's that's where we landed. Um, okay, let's uh, let's uh, let's let's move forward from this sticky situation um, and jump into this week's predictions with help from our resident statistician Gil Hova. Um, our first fight of the night. I would love to get your predictions, Kyle, uh, on this one. Number forty-four ranked Malice versus number fifty ranked Blacksmith. Kyle, your prediction. Yeah, um, tough one for Blacksmith to win here. I know Malice has been on a bit of a losing streak as of late, uh, but they're just going to come right in and hit super hard and probably launch Blacksmith far away. I don't see Blacksmith getting an opportunity to use that power hammer very often. I'm going to give this one to Malice. Okay. Lindsay, your prediction, Malice versus Blacksmith? I feel like often I agree with you, Kyle, but maybe this is just a matter of the of the heart wanting to override the head because I agree with all of your points. But... um. I'm going to go with Blacksmith. I'm going to go with Blacksmith. Wow, okay. Chris, your prediction. I'm curious if Blacksmith's going to have 
uh, any forks in this fight. I think that w- that's going to make a, a pretty big um, differentiator. I think if, if Malice is thrown off balance and, you know, we can see that that bot will go for a tumble, you know, just with so much sheer weight inside of that, inside of that horizontal spinner that um, Blacksmith very well could capitalize on that and, you know, bring that essentially that, that new spinning hammer down on top and, and really cause some, uh, some, some major destruction. I'm, I think Blacksmith can also take a couple of those hits from Malice, as, as powerful as that weapon is. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna give this one to Blacksmith. All right, Chris, let's stick with you for the next uh, fight of the night. Number nine ranked Black Dragon versus number 68 ranked Claw Viper. This is a rematch. Uh, these two robots faced each other last season with Black Dragon earning a knockout in a little over 90 seconds. Your prediction here in this fight? It's really interesting that this uh, that this played out again this season. Um, I don't see the you know the the status of this fight changing much season to season. Um, I think we see a better Claw Viper this season, but I will still give this one to Black Dragon. Okay, one uh, prediction for Black Dragon. Kyle, your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I'm gonna have to give this one to Black Dragon. Um, Claw Viper's basic like modus operandi is to slam you into walls and pick you up and slam you down and make the bots break themselves and black dragon just doesn't break it doesn't matter what you do to it so gonna go to black dragon okay Lindsay, uh your prediction here on this fight yeah same i mean i love claw viper i love its whole whole deal i love the type of bot that it is um we haven't seen a lot of success this season for those types of bots a little bit, but um, I'm going with Black Dragon because you just, like you said, Kyle, you can't kill it. It might be engulfed in smoke the entire time, but it's still going to be going. Okay. Lindsay, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. Uh, one of your favorite robots, number 16 ranked Gigabyte versus number 58 ranked Smee. I keep going. <laughs> um wow this one is really hard to call uh because i feel like it's a little bit in- unpredictable um but yeah i'm gonna continue on with the heart and i'm gonna say smee and uh i'm just gonna hope that it can hug gigabyte <laughs> in a way that uh, doesn't allow it to really get up and do very much. I, I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen, but I'm going to go with my heart and I'm going to say Smee. All right. Chris, your prediction, Gigabyte versus Smee? It's interesting because we always use the rock, paper, scissor analogy for this. And this really is a case of uh, rock versus paper with, you know, Gigabyte being this super heavy, dense spinning shell and Smee, which is uh, what? What? 20 feet long, 15 feet long, basically uh, a long flat uh, pan in the front. It could envelop, uh, you know, the other bot, but there's also a chance that a gigabyte will fling me, uh, Smee to the side the same way that like I fling my belt off at a barbecue. Um, so I, uh, I go to interesting barbecues. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm gonna give this one to Smee. I really I really think that this is a match that they could very well win. Kyle, take us home. Uh, are you going with Gigabyte or going with Smee in this matchup? Oh, I love this match. It's gonna be so weird. I just don't understand any physical situation where Smee could win it. Their weapon is technically undercutters, right? 
So they hug you and then they chop at your back wheels with their undercutters. That's like their their job. They're supposed to be going after these four-wheel drive vertical spinners. That's that's their job. Uh, there's no nothing to undercut on Gigabyte that those undercutters could reach. And Smee's drive is great, but it's not real it's not a real pushy drive. It's a real huggy drive. So like they they can't really corral Gigabyte into the corner the way that you would expect like a flat wedge to do. It's gonna be weird. I think this is going to go to Gigabyte. No matter what, this is going to be really weird and really fun, and I cannot wait to see it. Yeah, I have to thank Aaron Catling for this matchup. Um, Kyle, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. 87 ranked Glitch versus number 8 ranked Hydra. Your prediction? Well, um, this has nothing to do with the fact that Discovery Channel released a preview for this episode that involved... Hydra launching glitch almost all the way to the ceiling and uh, Jake, you were yelling at the top of his lungs. That's full power, baby. Um, <laughs> like, I'm just going to ignore the fact that I saw that entirely and just pick Hydra, not based on any of that information at all. Lindsay, your prediction here, glitch versus Hydra. Well, I had not seen that promo, Kyle, um, but I don't think it changes my prediction either way. I, I think I was going to say Hydra no matter what on this one. All right, Chris, and are you uh, voting in lockstep? Will this be a Hydra match for you as well? I happen to know for a fact that uh, production played that footage backwards and Glitch was making an aerial attack at Hydra. <laughs> Um, however, I do think that Hydra is going to win this. Chris, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. A classic rematch for all of you RoboGames hipsters. Number two ranked Tombstone versus number 47 ranked Free Shipping. Um, I, uh, I love Gary Jin. I love Free Shipping. Um, it is a, uh, it's a, it's a fun house bot. And, you know, it's not necessarily a contender, uh, it, it's just, it's there to like make people have a really good time. Um, tombstone is in, in the same essence, but it's got a, an incredibly dangerous weapon on the front of it. Assuming that that weapon bar, uh, doesn't, uh, break itself on the, on the arena or something. I'm going to give this one to tombstone. Okay. Uh, Kyle, your prediction here, uh, tombstone versus free shipping. All right, so this match has happened many times at RoboGames um, with a bot called Original Sin and a bot called uh, Last Rites, and they are they have fought many, many, many times. Um, typically speaking, it goes the way of uh, Original Sin, which is Gary Jin's bot. Um, it's just perfectly set up to break a tombstone. Uh, Obviously, free shipping has not had the same record in any way that Original Sin did. And it also has some moving parts on it that can break that Original Sin did not. That being said, I'm going to give this one to Gary Jin and free shipping. I think that they are going to win this. And um, I think it's really interesting that they are feeding Tombstone to bots that are low ranked but capable of beating them this season. I don't know what that means or what story they're trying to tell with that, but it is very interesting. Yeah, agreed. Lindsay, uh, your prediction here, Tombstone versus Free Shipping. This is one uh, that my heart is saying Free Shipping. Um, And there have been like numerous matches this season. I can't recall specific ones where I, I like went with the kinetic weapon bot in my prediction. And then the first like 20 to 30 seconds 
um, of the match, the like non-kinetic bot is really holding its own and like giving it a good run. And I think, oh man, I should have, I should have gone with like the non-kinetic weapon bot. I should have had faith in it. Um, but then like always at that 30 second mark, the kinetic weapon takes over and the other bot can only hold on for so long. Um, and I, I predict it's going to be a similar outcome here where the first 20 to 30 seconds, uh, free shipping will have tombstone on the ropes. We'll have, you know, give you that kind of, um, like, Oh shoot. It could, could, could he really do this kind of moment? And then I think it's just going to take that one hit from tombstone to kind of change the whole fortune of the match. Um, so I'm going to say tombstone. Okay. Lindsay, uh, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. Number 18 ranked Ribot versus number 29 ranked P1. This is a great, great matchup. Um, these are two drivers, um, Brandon Zielinski and David Jin, who frequent, um, you know, Norwalk Havoc and, and other events. So they are very, I imagine, very familiar with each other's driving styles, with each other's bots, are, you know, familiar with each other. Um, so this is kind of a cool one to see play out at BattleBots. Um, while I think P1 is having an incredible season and I think it's doing it's doing so well and really proving the producers like wrong from last year. And like, I think that they've earned their place in the top 32 this year. Um, I, I still think that Ribot has the upper hand in this match. Um, and I think that, uh, that again, it's, it's, I think P1 is going to put on a really good show. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to go to Ribot. Okay. Kyle, uh, will P1 be racing to victory or will this be uh, an easy hop, a skip, and a jump for Ribot? Uh, your prediction here. This is going to be one of those uh, almost a victory for P1s, right? Like they're going to lose, but it's going to look so good that it's going to bode well for the selection committee, I, th- I feel like. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a Ribot win. Ribot's just too dominant right now. Their weapons, both their weapons are way too powerful. They could go with either configuration to do well against P1. It's a tough match for P1 to win, and man, if if P1 does win this, I will be jumping out of my seat, screaming and yelling in victory for them because that's awesome. Amazing, Chris. Your prediction? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's just if when, when you look at the the point breakdown for the judges, um, you know, assuming that this doesn't end in some kind of freak accident where Ribot is uh, is knocked out. P1 just doesn't have the weapon power to earn those damage points. And, you know, Ribot is a really, really well-built bot. So, you know, it's it's not one that's going to, uh, you know, break down or, or have an issue likely during the fight. So I have to give this one to Ribot. I do want to say something, though. Um, I don't think that David Jen uh, and Ribot get enough uh, acclaim for what they do. I think people still underestimate them. Um, but David Jin is, is, has really built an incredible team and an incredible bot. Um, and I, I don't think his name appears as much as it should. And some of those like more, um, those conversations around like top drivers, top builders. Yeah, definitely. I mean, David Jin is, is like the robot, uh, builder and robot driver to watch at Norwalk Havoc. He does amazing with his robots. He, 
drives hot leaf juice incredibly well he's a very talented builder in his own right the team grinds and they are getting so much stick time in the the lower weight classes they really are racing ahead of a lot of other teams on BattleBots that um, don't get that same kind of time or they don't exhibit really that same interest um, in in the lower weight classes. David Jin is totally feared when when he walks into um, into the arena at Norwalk, and I totally agree with you, Lindsay. I mean, he is a top driver in the sport, um, and it's a storyline that I love to see develop um, over over the season. So uh, let's see where where are we at, Kyle? Kyle. Um, <clears throat> Let's see your thoughts on the main event. Uh, number four ranked Endgame versus number seven ranked Sawblaze. This is going to be a very interesting match. Um, Endgame is very good at defensive driving. It likes to get to the middle of the arena. It likes to keep itself pointed at its opponent and make them work to get a hit on them. And then once they kind of see an opening, they take advantage of it. Um, Jack Barker's very good at that. It's one of the things Michael Lately talked about in their match that he was like, I'm going to make him actually drive instead of just sit there in the middle of the ring. That's all he's good at, right? Um, the, little bit of, the little bit of trash talking you get amongst BattleBots drivers, it's not a lot. Uh, Jameson is going to make him change that strategy, I think. The ground game is probably going to go to Sawblades on this one. Um, they're literally peeling metal off the floor with their forks right now. I don't see how Endgame can get under them. And once Sawblaze gets under them and gets them into the side or gets them into the corner, that top armor is going to go. I'm going to give this to Sawblaze um, just because adjusting your strategy is hard and beating Sawblaze this year seems to be even harder. Mm. Chris, let's get your thoughts. Sawblaze versus Endgame, two of the heaviest hitters in the field. Uh, who is going to come out on top? Um, geez, it is. It's going to be a low ground game. Uh, you know, pan or you know, you know, pan versus fork. Um, there's one distinct advantage that that Sawblaze has in my mind, and that is if the pan and uh, the forks get locked up and the two bots are essentially pushing and pulling at each other. Um, only one of them has a weapon that is able to throw the distance over the top and come down onto the top armor. And that would be Sawblaze. Uh, if, if that articulating arm is used in that mm-hmm. type of fashion, I don't think that Endgame really has the armor to withstand even, uh, you know, one or two of those hits. So... I would give this one to Sawblaze, but damn, I'm looking forward to it. All right. And Lindsay, let's uh, let's end with you here. As our resident Sabe, uh, will this be a Sawblaze win for the main event? I think I'm going to have a pit in my stomach probably the entire night leading up to it. Um, I might even have to wait until it's over and have Chris tell me the outcome because I'm too nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that you know, my head and my heart say Sawblaze uh, for, for all the, the reasons that you've said. And I do think that um, Jameson goes driving ability and experience is maybe the differentiator that and the forks. Man, uh, it's going to be entertaining regardless of what happens. 
I know Sawblaze typically brings it to judges decision this season, but um, I don't know. I don't know. Either way, I, I think someone is, I don't know. Is someone getting knocked out or is this going to the judges? I don't know because it's, if Endgame if Endgame beats Sawblaze, will you no longer be a Sawbay and instead become an End Dame? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, End Dame? No, uh, I love Endgame, but I'm 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 nobody's End Dame. Um, all right, Lindsay, uh, very, very quick here, because uh, this is going on way too long. Uh, your thoughts on the YouTube exclusive fight, number 75 ranked Captain Shredderator versus number 123 ranked Jaeger. I'm giving this one to Captain Shredderator. Okay. Chris, your thoughts? Give this one to Shredderator. Okay. Kyle, your thoughts? It's It feels weird to vote for Shredderator. <laughs> feels very weird but this is the second time this season i'm gonna do it all right uh three votes for captain shredder that uh that does it that wraps up this week's edition of snap decisions look for our post on facebook later today to send us your predictions after the break our interview with kenny florian sponsored by max amps This interview is brought to you by MaxAmps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, BattleBots color commentator Kenny Florian. Kenny is a mixed martial artist who competed in the UFC from 2005 to 2011, uh, ending with a record of 16 and 6. He's one of the only fighters in history to compete in four different weight classes, middleweight, welterweight, lightweight, and featherweight. Uh, since retiring, he's worked as an MMA an- analyst uh, and a commentator for the UFC and now for the PFL. Combat Robotics fans know Kenny for his work as an announcer on BattleBots, where he's called hundreds of fights um, since joining the show in 2015. We're looking forward to learning more about what happens behind the scenes of our favorite TV show in the hour ahead. Uh, Welcome to the show, Kenny. Kyle, thanks so much for having me, man. Kenny, uh, I got to tell you, the reason uh, the rest of the Behind the Bots crew kind of put me on this interview is because I am one of the few crossover UFC and... uh, uh, BattleBots fans. I love MMA and, uh, I definitely watched the first season of Ultimate Fighter. So I've been, uh, you've been a part of my life for a long time, man. It's cool to talk to you. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. That's all. That's awesome to hear. We're getting more of those. Like I'm getting more, uh, you know, I guess tweets and things like that of people who are MMA fans that are now watching it with their kids and families and stuff like that. So cool to see that, you know, those two worlds kind of come together. Yeah, it's a it's a combat sport. You don't feel bad watching with your kids. You know what I mean? Like, it's great. (laughs) Exactly. 100%. 100%. All right. So let's talk about uh, about, you know, UFC commentary. Um, So you got into that game after you retired, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Technically, you know, it was UFC 83. I think, uh, I don't know what year that was. It was when, uh, George St. Pierre had a rematch against Matt Serra. That might have been, 
I don't know, 2008 or something like that, maybe maybe before that. Uh, and Joe Rogan was unable to attend in Canada, in Montreal, and they asked me if I would be a, a willing to do it. I did it. That was like my first full UFC broadcast, and it was a big one on a pay-per-view. Wow. Uh, and then – so I did little things like that, and then I worked for ESPN um, as an MMA analyst for a while. But And then – after I retired in 2011, 2012 is when I really kind of started uh, doing UFC commentary consistently. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um. So early life. So your parents. Uh, this is what I did a bunch of research on you today. So, uh, so your parents they immigrated. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Oh, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> um. So your parents they immigrated to the U.S. from Peru. Yes, um, correct. Your dad is a doctor. Yes. Um, so how did your parents feel about you kind of making the transition from a Boston College soccer athlete into combat sports? You know what I mean? Like that, it seems like you have a family that, uh, that, that you, that really cares about education, cares about brain power, cares about all those things that you put yes. at risk when you do combat sports. Yes. I, I disappointed them greatly. I, uh, <laughs> I was like the black sheep of the family. Um, you know, my, my dad, uh, you know, had, had worked hard, uh, you know, to pursue his education outside of Peru. He, he went to medical school uh, in Peru and then kind of came to the United States for training, ended up becoming a thoracic cardiovascular surgeon. And, you know, education was a big part of what he would preach to us all the time, um, you know, hard work, all that stuff. Uh, and, and martial arts was a part of that as well. He did not want us to be professional martial artists or professional fighters. Uh, <laughs> so when I told him and I told my mom that I wanted to do martial arts full time back in what, uh, 2003, 2004, um, they're like, wait, what, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean? And I said, well, I, I think I'm going to teach and this and that. And they're like, you know, you, you how are you going to make money? How are you going to do this? You know, what do you, what are you, what are you talking about? And I think my first three fights, I didn't even tell them about it. I, I, I actually <laughs> had fought in secret, uh, without them knowing. And then once they found out about it, I think my dad was there at actually my fourth fight. Um, and actually took me to the hospital because that was the first time I'd actually got hit in a fight. I had a cut, so I had to get stitched up. I had no medical – I had no insurance at the time. And he took me to one of the hospitals that he goes to and we kind of cut the line, snuck in, and they gave me stitches as a favor to him. Uh, so that was my – you know, that was his big introduction to um, the dark world of mixed martial arts. So – and that ended up, you know, leading to me being – being on the first season of The Ultimate Fighter and all that stuff. So they were not happy about it. I think they didn't really accept it until I started to do well in the UFC and people – I was no longer Dr. Florian's son. Like Dr. Florian was my dad. So it was like, oh, you're Kenny Florian's dad. And when that kind of flipped, they were like, wait a sec. People know my son and they know that he does right. stuff. You know? And I think that kind of – um, blew their minds a little bit and they're saying, well, wait a sec, maybe he's doing something that's, that's okay. And, and he's, I guess he's doing well for himself, you know? So it took me a while to earn that respect, but, uh, ultimately I guess it happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've been doing stuff lately for the, the PFL. Yes. Um, tell us about what that's like. They're a relatively new promotion. I know they really yes. kind of got codified in 2018. Um, yeah. so, so what has it been like kind of working for a startup and again, and something brand new and, and, uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's been really exciting. You know, the Professional Fighters League is a league that is relatively new, um, and they really have this great long-term vision for the sport, and I think they're heavily investing in the sport globally uh, mm-hmm. to take it to the next level, and they're they're trying to do something outside of the box. They're, they're not trying to be another UFC promotion. They're trying to do something a little bit different, so they've adopted this regular season and postseason format yep. where... Uh, the fighters have the ability to earn points during the regular season, similar to BattleBots. Then they they get into the postseason based on um, the the points that they've accumulated, and then from there they have the shot at winning one million dollars. And for a professional mixed martial arts fighter, uh, that's a lot of money. You know, in yeah. the UFC, you could be fighting for several years and never make a million dollars, you know, um, you have the opportunity to make a million dollars in one year in under 12 months, which is pretty cool. So they're starting to be really competitive as far as the talent that they're bringing in. And, um, it's, it's exciting to be a part of something new. I, I see it as a great challenge. Um, I, I, I get to call fights with Sean O'Connell and Randy Couture, uh, which is a lot of fun hanging out with those guys. And, um, it's it, it's been it's been fun to be a part of of the PFL over the last I guess uh, year or so now. So, question that I have, especially you know, I I've watched a few PFL events and I thoroughly enjoy the product. Um, but my question to you is, do you think that point system, that kind of codified system, is something that would really work in the regular season of BattleBots? I mean, I think one of the things that causes a lot of controversy every year is who does that selection committee right. eventually pick for the round of 32? Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of codified, have that have that be something that's more solidified? Yeah, you know, I think it's a great question. It, it's difficult, right? Because at the end of the day, we're trying to put together a product for television. And so having that balance is difficult. Actually, right now I'm involved in uh, a thing called the PFL Challenger Series where we're looking for upcoming talent. Um, And it's similar to uh, how BattleBots is in that four fighters, uh, so eight fighters compete against each other in one night. You have four winners and we can only pick one. Uh, And a win doesn't guarantee you uh, you know, entry into the PFL. It doesn't mean you're going to get signed by the PFL. What they're looking at is excitement, charisma, stuff outside of just winning. So, you know, I guess that kind of is the same thing in that, you know, for BattleBots, we're looking for not only uh, people that are winning and doing well, but we're also looking for teams uh, and robots that are exciting to watch, that are going to bring a certain energy and a uniqueness uh, to the tournament. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I guess, you know, we're, we're finding that balance, but I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think it would be um, kind of cool to have a streamlined process where, you know, you can earn points and, and uh, based on how you do or based on the points that you earn, that guarantees your entry into the tournament. So let's go back in time. Let's go back to 2015. How did you get this gig? How did you uh, get hooked up with the BattleBots guys? How did you get hooked up with ABC? How did all this get started? You know, I I had um, been reached out to, uh, I think there was a producer who knew one of the producers that I worked with at Fox and um, had reached out. 
Um, so th- they reached out to me and at first I was like, is this real? Like, is, you know, a lot of things in LA are proposed to you at times and it's like, oh, we want you kid. You're great. We're going to do a movie or we're going to do a TV show. We're going to do this or we're going to do that. Um, so I wasn't sure like if this was a legit thing, like this. And they said, hey, listen, can you come in for an interview today? And I said, well, I'm actually with my wife. I'm driving back from San Francisco. Um, maybe I can, you know, do it another day, but I can't come in now. I'm, I'm driving back. Um, so they said, okay, well, let's, let's do it tomorrow. And I was like, okay, well, at least this is like more legit. They want to actually see me. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to talk to them. I, I went for an interview process and, um, you know, within 48 hours, uh, I was delivered a packet that was bigger than my head. And that's pretty darn big. Uh, if you've seen my head on television, it's a huge melon. So it was this huge packet of BattleBots material that I had to sift through and make sense out of. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of work. Like, what did I get myself into? Am I going to be able to, um, you know, know all this information and memorize all this stuff? So, like for two weeks, I, I was just studying, and um, I think I, that's all I pretty much had. I believe like two weeks to prepare, and we were filming. You know, after that, and I guess it came down to you know, BattleBots either going you know, the engineering route as far as commentary goes, you know, would they find someone who was a former BattleBots competitor in the engineering world or in that world, or would they go more like the the fight um, commentary style? And ultimately they chose the fight commentary style, thankfully. And it's been an amazing ride, man. What, what a trip it's been. I, I've learned so much and it's no ex- exaggeration to say that like it has helped me as a martial artist as well. I mean, combat, you know, the, the, the physics don't change from battle bots to jujitsu. It, it's the same thing. The, the, the physics don't change from mixed martial arts or, you know, uh, the, the military, you know, and various styles of combat. So what's interesting to me, I love finding patterns, um, of things. And, and as a, um, martial artist that loves to nerd out on things and figure things out, I, I, I learned so much in that process of like what makes a robot successful and how is this similar to what I do? And so I and, – and even like as far as, you know, methods of operation of, of how they do things, how they go about their checklist and how they – how professional they are. Like I've learned so much from, from these robots and from these teams and it's been fascinating from a strategic standpoint, from a tactic standpoint um, and how applicable it is to what I've done for many years. That's fantastic. Um, Kyle, uh, his internet just dropped out really quick. So I'm going to jump in with the next question, if that's all right. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really curious, um, about what it was like calling fights, uh, for BattleBot season one and kind of like what's changed over time. Can you, can you take us back to 2015 and kind of like your, your first BattleBots fight? I mean, it must've been Culture shock, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually, I feel nervous in my body just thinking about my first call uh, for a BattleBots fight. You know, I, I think that um, it was, I was just going to do my best to call a fight. That That's the way I was going to uh, kind of approach it. I, I didn't know a whole, lot of, a whole lot of the technical nuances, and I'm still learning a tremendous about, about that, of... Um, uh, of weapons and weapon power and and all the things that go into it. So for me, I was like, I'm just going to call it. This is really cool. We have 250-pound robots that are about to smash into each other. And I just try to do my best 
to relay that information and um, call the fight the way I was seeing it. Uh, and I tried to uh, transfer that excitement that I was feeling in my body uh, to the call of the fight. And um, I, I'm, I'm sure I would probably cringe if I went back and listened to some of those calls. Maybe not. I don't know. I hate hearing myself talk anyway, but um, yeah, I'd probably be pretty curious to listen back to some of those early calls. But uh, I remember it just being very exciting, very new. I was very nervous. Um, but uh, Chris Rose, being the professional that he is, uh, I think made it all a lot easier of a process. We have just a couple more questions before we jump into the many, many, many listener questions that we have. Um, I would love to so like, so six seasons later, you're like such a fantastic team, you and Chris. And um, you, I, I'm curious, like what a typical day at BattleBots looks like for you. Like what time do you get to set? Um, when do you get like the fight sheet? Um, how much how much prep do you have to do going into like one of these these fights? Can you kind of take us through like a, a typical morning session for for Kenny? Great question. So, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll um, talk about our most recent experience. So, uh, for this past season, uh, we were in lot, you know, for we were in Las Vegas, and what we do is uh, basically our our mornings start about nine a.m. I'm usually. Uh, you know, mowing down some breakfast and uh, pounding coffee as we meet with um, the competitors. Now, prior to the season, I should I should preface that by saying prior to the season, Chris and I have a meeting with each and every uh, builder. We want to find out what's new, who's new, who's new to the team, what's new with the robot, what are they expecting, yada yada yada. And we and we had probably we we actually set a time limit. It was like maybe 30 minutes with each team um, just to make it even Steven and not take too much time. We had to go through, I mean, what, 60 some odd teams, something like that. So um, it was over the course of a few days. Um, So we did that first. And then once the official season is about to start, the morning of whoever is on our list uh, who is going to fight, we interview each team yet again because uh, inevitably things will change based on matchups and all that stuff. So we find out what kind of armor they're going with, why they made the changes they did, what are their strategies leading up to the fight. So they give us um, as much as they can or as much as they feel comfortable with uh, heading into that fight. They give us a lot of their you know strategy tactics and stuff like that. And a lot of them are very hesitant to do so and probably with withhold a lot of that information in fear of like, hey, is, you know, are you going to share this? And we always make sure like, no, this is for us and us alone, just so we kind of know what's going on and what your approach is. Um, and, um, and so that starts about 9 a.m. I'm on set. I guess I'm, at, I'm on my trailer about uh, 9.45, 10 a.m., um, yeah, I guess like 10 a.m. Uh, that would make sense. And then 10:30, I'm in makeup. 11, 11:15, I'm in I'm in my desk chair, about to start calling fights. And we probably get out of there. We have a lunch break uh, at at a certain point, <laughs> um, maybe late afternoon. Uh, and then I'm probably out of there at like 10:30 at night, something like that. 10 o'clock at night, depending on how things go sometimes later, sometimes earlier than 1030. So it's a long day. 
It's so much prep though for like two weeks. I mean, you're you're doing these these pre-fight interviews, you're reading through the binder. I mean, like this it's like a pretty intense two weeks. I mean, like, how does it compare to to like calling an MMA fight? It, you it, know, for example. It's extremely intense. Um, I would say just because obviously I'm not as familiar with that world, I find it more difficult, right? I, I find it more challenging. Um, there's a lot of things that change. Uh and I I Chris and I are are meeting a lot and talking a lot. And if like we don't have a long lunch, it's like right to work, right to research, right to meeting, talking about uh, the matchups, going over things, going, practicing our reads and our opens and all that stuff. So there is quite amount of work. It's a long day. And, um, but at the same time, it, it's intense. It's a lot of work. But we have a blast doing. It. We have a blast doing it. So it's uh, we 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 try to balance it out. And I think you know on our day off, you know, Chris and I will meet up. Like th- this last season, we we had a little day by the pool where we hung out. In fact, Chris and I went on the lazy river on these like you know inflatable uh, tires or whatever, and we kind of zipped around the uh, the lazy river for a while. I think that was at Mandalay, just kind of chilling and relaxing and <laughs> hanging out and, re- and you know trying to get rejuvenated for uh the next the next few days i see kyle's back uh before i turn it back over to him i just have to ask you the one like the number one top question for me as a fan um so <laughs> are you and chris like actual friends do you hang out outside of BattleBots? i feel like i don't know people probably ask you that a lot but uh but i i just you guys have yeah. such a great rapport and like i'm just curious you know like do you guys watch watch fights together you know or or what you know we don't. Well, here's the thing. When I lived in Los Angeles, um, I would see him on occasion. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not there. I'm in North Carolina now. So he, he's in Los Angeles. The other thing is we have such crazy schedules. Like Chris is working all the time as well. Um, so it's tough for us to, to meet up and, and, and uh, uh, like we used to. But yeah, even then, like when I was in Los Angeles, you know, Chris and I were always pretty busy. So, but we always try to keep in touch. And, you know, he has met my family, of course, many times. I've met his family many times. Uh, you know, last time I was in Vegas, I was hanging out with him and his family. And he's always so inviting and, um, you know, invites me out to dinner with them and, you know, to hang out. And so it, his family is amazing. And uh, so we, we, we've seen each other many times and hung out with each other many times. But over the last year or so, it hasn't been as frequent, I'd say that. Kyle, uh, I know we have a million and a half listener questions. I'm going to turn it back over to you. All right. <laughs> we'll try to get through as many of them as we can. This is the one that I kind of moved to the top of the list because I'm interested in your opinion on it. Um, so this is from Owen Jones. He wants to know, without spoiling any fights, what are your views on the upper deck, the sneeze guards, and now the doors kind of being a no-go zone for pe- throwing people out of the arena? These changes to the arena that really changed the the makeup of the sport this year. Yeah, you know, I was a little hesitant. I, I guess just because, um, you know, we're all creatures of habit and uh, we tend to be afraid of change. So I was kind of curious of how that was going to go down. You know, was this going to impede the flow of fights? Was it going to slow things down? Uh, was it going to be a, a huge advantage to grappling style robots? Um, was it going to take away the advantage of, stri- uh, of the striking style robots of the vertical and uh, horizontal weapons? Um and I, you know, I, I didn't really see that. I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. It played a factor, 
Um, but um, I don't know. I, I think it was a kind of unique uh, addition uh, this season. I, I was a little hesitant about it, but I was um, – I kind of liked it. I actually kind of liked it because, again, you know, I think a lot of people – uh, in the robots community, anyway, they get that's they get sick of the vertical, you know, uh, spinners and all that stuff. They th- feel like they have such an advantage. Yeah. And I felt like it helped even the playing field, no pun intended, um, uh, in, in some ways, and, and kind of gave a little bit to the grappling style robots. And I, and I think it's just the beginning. Like, I don't want to say too much, but I, I do think that in if that's the direction they keep heading in, right, with with the upper deck, I think it's probably going to be utilized more and more as we go through um, more seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, nobody had time to adapt to it this year too. I think that was a lot yeah. of the complainers. They, they, right. The complaints in the community was that. Totally. And I think, and I think you know, just the, the nature of combat in general, it's like you have this new thing and, and people don't quite know how to react to it yet right but then they, they see other people kind of use it and that becomes like this jumping off point for others to go like okay like that worked that didn't what if we did this and did that and and I think it's gonna help people tactically strategically in the future so um, I'm curious to see how that evolves so question for you and this is a little bit putting you on the spot I know that you enjoy going I know you like uh, recording battlebots I know you like you know working those two weeks at the event. Are, are you a fan of the sport outside of that? Have you checked out any of the other events, any of the other, uh, any other smaller competitions? I know you mentioned them in the show as it comes up. Yeah. So you know that they exist, but is that something that you ever like look into the, the other weight classes and other events? A little bit, a little bit, uh, not too much. I, you know, I've, I've seen stuff, um, videos of people that have, that have sent me stuff. I've, had a lot of <laughs> I've had a lot of offers um to go to other places obviously I'm you know I'm with battlebots but um I, I would love to check them out I, yeah. I've seen some of the smaller stuff not a whole lot um but uh, I would like to I'm definitely curious and if I have the time to do so I would do more of it um but usually I'm kind of jumping back and forth between MMA and robot stuff that I, I don't always have the time and and I have a family as well but I, I would like to <laughs> I would like to I would like to check out more stuff for sure yeah the physics <laughs> that the smaller weight classes can be really interesting like it's it's yes. a lot of fun to watch the three pounders launch each other across the arena in ways that it's just impossible to to happen with a 250 pound robot um, totally so it's it's and- a lot of fun. And we get a lot of updates like, um, you know, Peter, uh, the bot whisperer, he, he's so great at kind of giving us context and giving us, you know, history on stuff and what's going on uh, outside of BattleBots um, in, in other competitions uh, like China or India or, you know, England and, and all that stuff and how, how teams are doing and, and what to watch out for and this and that. Yeah. Yeah. Him and Aaron Catling, man, they're both, uh, they're really oh my gosh. super into the community, super into all that stuff for sure. Aaron, Aaron's a damn encyclopedia too. Like, like he's like he's the man. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's fantastic. All right, so we've got another question uh, from Jimmy Selling. This is a very common question, so we kind of boiled it down to to this one kind of verbiage of it. What's the biggest similarities and the biggest differences between MMA and BattleBots for you? What What's the biggest similarity? Yeah, biggest similarities and the biggest differences between MMA and BattleBots. Philosophically, from a, right. you know what I mean. Honestly, I, geez, I guess the difference is, I I think I see more 
overall evolution in BattleBots than I see in MMA. Hmm. I, I guess I will say this. The evolution happens quicker. Yes. It seems. It seems like uh, in BattleBots, uh, people are, are very quick. The engineers involved are very quick to make um, adaptations. Um, so I, I, I love that. I like that's my MO. Uh, you know, if I'm not – people always ask me, what's your favorite fight of yours? And I, I don't have one. What I'm most proud of is the fact that I, I did evolve every fight. I was – I was better and different uh, than I was the last time. And and I love that about BattleBots. Like even fight to fight within the season, like I'll see teams get better and make huge improvements. Sometimes we don't see that, right? But um, <laughs> so, so, you know, we, we do see that evolution. And, and season to season, we see great evolution with, with robots and how they're constantly getting better. And I, I think that's super cool. I think – we see similarities in that the strong get stronger, like the best fighters in the world um, kind of stay that for a little while. Yeah. Um, sure, you'll get upsets and stuff like that, but like strong teams typically stay strong teams. Like you won't see this big drop off. Um, and robots, it's, you know, with robots, it, it's much easier to do that because you, you can build a new robot. You, you can't build a new body. You can't build a new brain with, with some of these fighters. So you'll see over time, um, the human body, of course, can only take so much punishment. Injuries pile up. Uh, the body gets tired, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they, they can't keep up that pace, whereas in the robot world, they can. So the, the strong get stronger, I think. It, it's, it's more apparent seeing that in, in BattleBots. Um, and hopefully I kind of answered that question. I think you did. I think you did. Yeah, okay. and then you kind of see that the, the the other way too with bots like uh, like Tombstone where you see everybody kind of adapt to them, adapt to right. their style. Well, that's a great example of like, you know, for Tombstone, uh, Ray Billings, I love you, but, um, you know, they, they kind of have to start asking themselves, like, is this the right approach? Are we sticking with something um, that can be approved greatly? Or do they have to just reconfigure everything and start from scratch again um, and create a whole different weapon system and module? I, I don't know. Um, but um, I would love to see something similar, but... I, I think that's where it gets interesting where it's like in the engineering world, you can maximize um, – you can only maximize so much. Like there comes a point where it's like – you know, Porsche, for example, where it's like, you know what? We've done everything possible that we can do in the 964 iteration. It's time to build a whole different frame, a whole different chassis, a whole different engine. You know, it's time to move on to something different, to a whole uh, different thing. Um so I, I, I wonder at, at what point um, the designers, the builders get to that point where like, okay, you know what? We need to, we need to start something new. And, and a lot of times, um, you know, they, they do something new because they just want to do something new, you know? Um, so of course we saw that with Blip, right? I mean, he could have easily uh, stayed with what was working, but, you know, he decided to um, do something completely new. Yeah, I think uh, with Aaron specifically, he's always wanted yeah. to build a flipper. You know what I mean? That's right. what he came in right. with originally. This is this was his like what he wanted Tantrum to be from the beginning. I love Blip. I think it's super cute. I love the personality yeah. on it. I love the way it works. I, I it couldn't have gone better for me. Aaron uh, is one of those guys, man. He's just so interesting to watch. Watch how he develops in this sport. 
Yeah, uh, he's going to be someone to watch for sure. I mean, it's just like both of those teams. And yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to a question from Mammoth team member Brandon Bennett Young. Uh, he says, hey, Kenny, uh, what robot do you find most fun to watch and why is it Mammoth? <laughs> Brilliant. That's so funny. Uh, (laughs) uh, Mammoth is freaking awesome, by the way. Uh, Again, I'm always intrigued. Mammoth isn't my favorite, okay? But it is – I love Mammoth because it's so out of the box, man. It, Like, you know what I mean? It takes – balls okay <laughs> to come up with something so unique and different and be like i'm gonna do something completely unusual like it's easy for someone to just like take someone else's design and be like i'm gonna do that except make it like tweaks and make it a little better he's bringing something completely different to the table which i love so mammoth is is badass to watch very very cool um gosh I'm I'm a little bit partial to the flipping bots, you know, Hydra, Blip. Um, I I would love to see a more effective grappling bot, you know. Um, I don't know, man. I I um I like all different styles of robots, you know. Even you know, Whiplash, of course. Like anyone who can make something work any robot that is versatile any robot that's bringing something new to the table anyone that can drive their ass off like i love i i love all styles of robots i i don't want to just single out anyone um but i don't know i i guess i, I just um anything that's going to surprise me and bring a certain uniqueness and creativity to the table i'm going to be a fan of um and yeah, I mean, there's so there's so many, um, you know, from from like the dominant former champions to uh, the up and comers. I think um, they're all bringing something unique and different. And I think this season is a great example of even the people that are new are are going to be contenders. And you know, everyone is stepping up their game, man. Like it's. It's really exciting to watch and very inspiring, actually. All right. So this is the next question from Brandon Bennett Young. If you could change BattleBots rules or the arena in some way, what would it be? Is there anything about the current rule set, the current arena that, that would be that you could see a good change in your mind? Okay, so it's probably my exact same answer for mixed martial arts. I think the rules as far as uh, maybe not the rules, but I think the judging criteria should be more specific Mm. because anytime you um, have it be open to interpretation, then, you know, your perspective and uh, uh, where you're coming from uh, is going to vary greatly, right? You're going to see, you know, certain judges see it a a certain way and other judges see it a certain way because there's such a broad criteria for uh, judging a match. So I think that opens it up to, uh, controversy and disappointment and frustration and excitement, of course, for those that get the nod. But I, I think that um, being a little bit more specific with with how these fights are judged, I think will will go a long way and help um, will help the drivers, the builders, 
and the fans understand it a little bit better. And, you know, of course, listen, there's always going to be disappointment. There's always going to be frustration on the part of fans because we love seeing our favorite robots win. But I, I think that will that will go a long way and, and help significantly. Yeah, I, I that is a sentiment that's coming out of this season a lot interestingly enough. So yeah, we'll see how that goes going forward. <laughs> All right. So uh, next question is from Steven Egert. Since you only spend two weeks a year at the event, between you and Chris, who's better at remembering the names of the builders <laughs> and the bots? I would love to say me, but I'd be <laughs> lying. So there you go. Chris is like, he's so good at that. I, I, I'm, I am like notoriously bad with names. Like even, even <laughs> you know, when, I, when I'm teaching and stuff, I'll like get names wrong all the time. I'm, I try, I do my best. It, it's, it's, it's a weakness of mine that I'm working very hard on. Um, so I, by, by, you know, clearly by, by the second half of this, like, uh, of the season or the, you know, the latter part of the weeks, like I'm good. I, I'm usually pretty good about it, but early on it, like it takes me a little bit to get the name. So I'm sorry, anyone uh, who I may have called the wrong name. All right. So this next question is from Tara Fisher, but I'm going to give you a little bit of background on it. So back in the original comedy central seasons, the, um, the commentary crew and the production crew would often get to, drive robots in exhibition fights. Sometimes they would drive Chinkilla, oh, cool. right? Yeah. There's even some yeah. footage out there of like Joe Rogan driving a robot. There's like, you know what I mean? There's, it, it happened a lot back then. Um, so have you ever wanted to drive a robot in an, ex- in an exhibition fight against like Chris or Farouk? And if you had a chance, which robot would you choose? Oh man, I would love to. I, um, I've had the opportunity to do it like, you know, um, without the weapon activated and all that stuff, just like moving around. And I've played with some of the mini bots and stuff like that. Um, but I would feel, geez, it'd be like if I didn't know how to drive and someone was like, hey, Kenny, you want to drive my Ferrari? I would be so scared. I'd be like, uh, are you sure? Like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. I, I don't want to ruin your amazing machine. These things are expensive. So, yeah, um, if I was given the, like the green light, like, hey, Kenny, you go out and drive or do it. I'd be terrible at it because I'm so like I stopped playing video games once it got like past four buttons. But um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, gosh, I don't know anything that's like that. It would hit hard, you know, like gosh, um, like my timing would probably be terrible on on the flipping bots. So I, I wouldn't mess with that. I'd try to go with something a little bit more simple. That's just like point and shoot, like uppercut or end game. Uh, not to say it's easy to drive those things. I'm not saying that, but it it's a little bit more intuitive for me, I guess, for my brain um, to just kind of point point and shoot and just ram myself into them. So yeah, like a some kind of hard hitting um, robot like uppercut uh, would would probably be pretty fun. Yeah, that would looks like so much fun to drive. Honestly, like yeah. the, the that weapon yeah. is so cool too. All right, That's so we got uh, I got friend of the pod Lindsay Urico. She wants to know what kind of behind the scenes shenanigans have you been involved with at BattleBots? <laughs> we know some of it happens. We've heard some stories. So, so what's uh, yeah. what's something you've been involved in? Oh man, I'm trying to think. Um, well, you know, I, I remember me messing with Chris that um, 
Oh, who is it? Mr. Mr. Snuggles, uh, who's the snake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, we, we, we were going to bring uh, the snake over, and Chris is like deathly afraid of snakes, and he didn't want any part of that. And he literally told me, he's like, if you bring that snake over here, I will I will seriously <laughs> freak out. I was like, okay, I won't. He's like, no, I'm I'm serious. I will I will actually uh, freak out. So, um, yeah, I mean, like playing a joke like that would, would would be pretty funny. But it was hard because just with the whole COVID thing, like we didn't have yeah. a whole lot of interaction with the robots over the last couple of years. So that's that was the hardest part over the last couple of seasons. So um, maybe as we get a little bit closer, um, but I I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I guess like we we always do some kind of shenanigans and j- just being able to joke around with a lot of the bot builders like face to face, like walking around the pits. We haven't been able to do that um, for the last couple seasons, so that's been the most frustrating part, I guess. Yeah. Um, but so I don't. I guess I, I've missed that, um, and maybe my my mind is just fried. But yeah, a lot of the folks from like Warhawk and whatnot were even saying that uh, they didn't want to come. During the COVID seasons, just because it's really hard to interact with the people that they came to see, you know, like for them, it's yeah. getting together yeah. with their friends and getting together with the community. And, and it was just, you know, it would be too hard to be there, but not be able to be with people. And like, that was just something they didn't totally. want to do, which I totally understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So we're going to go on to a question from Corey Schweinhart. Um, so this one, I think, is very interesting. So let's pretend you're trying to explain BattleBots to one of your UFC friends. How would that pitch go? How would you be like, hey, man, you got to check this out. Here's what it is. Amazing. I, I, I do that. So I I, um, I guess the, the, most, the simplest way would be uh, if you took, you know, a 250-pound robot with a weapon that could slice you in half or smash you in half uh, and you ram it into another robot of – um, same size and uh, danger level. What would happen? Like, and you got three minutes to just destroy each other. Um, that that's kind of what robots. That's kind of what battle bots and robot fighting is all about. To me, I guess. Um, so I, I I think it. And the other thing I always say it brings out the kid in you. You know, like for anyone who loved Legos or you know taking your cars and smashing them into each other or you know you know He-Man dolls or whatever it was uh, that people played with GI Joe whatever um, I did all of those things and um, it, it it just brings out the kid in you man I that that's what's so cool about it and I guess to go a little bit further um, it's it's engineering at its best and combat at its best you you're getting some of the most brilliant minds in the world that are uh, coming up with ways uh, to destroy another robot. All right. So this is uh, my last question of the day because I know we're running short on time. Um, and this one's just for me. But uh, if you okay, if you had to use just a few words to describe the rest of the season without spoiling anything, just give us a little gotcha. teaser. What are we looking forward to for the rest of the season? Gosh. Um... I would say um, excitement, perhaps frustration, <laughs> um, uh, you know, just loads of destruction 
and um, surprise, I guess, you know. Um, yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. I I don't I will say this. I'll say this, and this is absolutely the truth. This was my favorite season, and this was the season that I was most impressed uh, with the level of competition. Yeah. It 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 was insane and it, it gets crazier. So stick around and there's there's more goodies. There's more goodies. So so I'm excited for the fans. I really am. I I loved it. All right. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your time. And uh, we cannot wait to see you again at BattleBot soon. My pleasure, man. We'll have to do this again because we, we ran a little short on time. So I promise we'll, we can do it again. <laughs> After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to Hokkaido, Japan, where a noodle restaurant there is testing a new robot with a cat's face that serves food and talks to customers. The robotic cat stands four and a half feet tall, carries trays of food inside its body, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and uh, yeah, has a touch screen with a cat's face on it. Um, The robot says things like, Here comes the dish of your order, meow, and let me pass through, meow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) this is, this is fully a robot that I can get 100% behind. I love this. It's weird as heck that you put trays of food into its body. And then I imagine you have to open a latch door on its body and take the food out. That's weird. I love it. Why is it a touch screen with a cat's face on it and not just a robotic cat head? I don't know. That's weird. This is weird. I love it. This is what technology is for. The early prototypes actually had it so that after the food was served, the cat would jump up onto the table and knock all the plates off. (laughs) Well, that's about it for us, Meow. (laughs) We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode, which was a doozy. Uh, And Nelly, the Elliebot Captain Sarah Malian for providing our amazing outro music, Meow. Uh, We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Meow. Meow. Okay, this is meow. enough. This is, this is too much. Meow. Let's end this right now. Meow. There once was a bot who's from the sea. The name of the bot was the Kraken of Teeth. The lights went up, the buzzer sounds all go. My scaly girl go. Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. She'll take her teeth and go She'd not been two weeks from shore When out did come her metal jaw The captain called all hands and swore He'd take that spinner in tow <gasps> Soon may the spinner man come To knock her teeth right from her gums One day when the fighting is done She'll take